Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone out. We have some visitors here this morning, and we want you to know that you are our honored guest. We're so glad that you're here. Some of you might remember back in December of last year, we talked a bit about gossip and slander, and, and we defined it, and we got into some details about it uh, a little bit. But this morning, I want to approach this subject from a different angle. And so we're going to be turning to James chapter 4, and we're going to concentrate on verses 7 through 12 in James chapter 4, where it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? James here introduces us in verses 11 and 12 to the sin of slander, and it is to this uncomfortable little passage that we will be giving our attention this morning. Uh, where it says brothers or more fairly translated brothers and sisters do not slander one another and I want to make sure that we set this sentence in its context and when we come to a sentence like this it's important for us to recognize where we find it and the context is broadest in the context of the Bible itself and when we do that we discover in Psalm 50 God speaks to the wicked and he says, let your, you let your mouth loose in evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. In other words, he identifies slander and deceitful speech as an, an expression of the inherent wickedness of men and women. Still in Psalms, David in identifying himself as one who wants to be careful to lead a blameless life in the context of explaining to his readers what a blameless life will look like in Psalm 105 verse 5 he says whoever secretly slanders his neighbor him I will destroy no one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure in other words he says if I'm gonna live a blameless life I cannot engage in the slandering tongues of those who are around me. I cannot become like those who are with haughty eyes and proud hearts. And Proverbs is just full of references to the tongue, at least 60 of them throughout the book. For example, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18, whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. Whoever spreads slander is a fool. And when we come to the New Testament, we find that Jesus speaks very clearly in Matthew 12 when he says, I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. 
men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. So we see this sentence in context. First of all, in context of the Bible, the whole Bible. And then we come and we focus in a little, a little bit. We focus in a little further and we see this sentence in the context of the book, which is the book of James or, or the letter of James. And when we do this, we discover that in the 83 verses, almost 20% of those verses reference the tongue in some way. Back in chapter 1, verse 19, James had issued a statement. He said, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And then in chapter 1, verse 26, he said, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. You know, one of the marks of somebody who has become a Christian, he says, is a controlled tongue. A controlled tongue. And that's why the teaching in the first 12 verses of chapter 3 is so very challenging. And we might simply highlight chapter 3, verse 8, where it says, No man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And then thirdly, we focus in and view it within the context of the surrounding verses. So do not slander anyone, my brothers and sisters. The Bible has a lot to say about the tongue, and James has almost 20% of the letter addressed to the tongue. And, and now we narrow down the surrounding text, the surrounding context. Verse 11 com comes before verse 12, and after verse 10, that's the context. And in verse 10 comes the conclusion of a little paragraph that begins in verse 7. And in verse 7, James has issued the call for his readers who have become believers in the Lord Jesus, followers of Jesus. He called them to submit themselves to God. And we see that as James makes clear to us, if we're going to be submitting to God, then that involves resisting the devil. Verse 7, it involves drawing near or coming near to God. Verse 8, it involves our hands needing to be washed routinely as they represent our actions and our hearts are in need of a constant purification, which represents our attitudes. And then in verse 9, we need to be involved in daily repentance, which takes sin seriously. And then in verse 10, it's imperative that we bow down before God and humble ourselves before him. Because as we see in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, there is all the difference in the world between a man who lifts himself up and a man who is lifted up. And our part is to bow down, and it's God's part to lift up, to exalt. And when we exalt ourselves, it leads to nowhere. And it is, I think, just that issue of humility again, which leads James to go directly to the issue of, sl of slander, presumably because slander is a subtle form of self-exaltation or lifting yourself up. When we slander another person, we put them down. And often we like to put people down because it makes us feel that we've just gone a little higher up ourselves. You know, there's a link, if not a direct correlation, between lifting yourself up and the defamation of somebody else. If I can run you down, if I can put you down, then I may be able to feel a little bit better about myself even though that I know I'm not so great. But as long as I can find somebody 
that I can talk about that is a little worse than me, then I don't feel so bad about my wretched condition. There's all the difference in the world between the man who lifts himself up and the man who is lifted up by God. Now, that's the context. Let's define some terms here as well. We're dealing here, what we're dealing here with this issue of slander, uh, the Greek word, I'm going to try to pronounce it, kadalaleo, kadalaleo, it means to speak against, uh, laleo, to speak, and kata, against, to speak against. And, you know, that word sounds a little bit like cattiness, uh, doesn't it? You know, so-and-so was being catty, uh, she was so catty, I can't believe how catty she was. You know, that's what, that's what some people say, but it's, it's a representative of a form of backbiting and, and putting somebody down. To slander is to talk against or to talk another person down. It's not to talk down to somebody, but it's to put somebody down and, and usually to do these things behind their back. So it is this notion of seeking to uh, lift myself up, to exalt myself by defaming somebody else and to speak against them in such a way as to reduce them. And usually to do it in a cowardly way where they're not present to be able to respond to my challenges and allegations. And that's what he's saying here. Slander is directly related to gossip and to backbiting, and it's malicious talk. It's the unhelpful repeating, unhelpful repeating of stories about the wrongs or offenses of others. The unhelpful repeating of stories about the wrongs and offenses of others and to the extent that our hands get dirty and morally defiled by these things that's the importance of what James just said here about wash your hands you sinners that gossiping and slandering stuff it just it just dirties us up and if we don't clean ourselves up from that regularly we may find that we actually enjoy being slanderers and, and gossipers. Somebody said, uh, gossip and slander is the sin of those who meet in corners or gather in little groups or grab the telephone and pass on confidential tidbits of information which destroy the good name of those who are not present to defend themselves. I think that's a pretty good assessment about what James is talking about here. So the context is the Bible, always. It's the book as in the letter of James, and it's the surrounding text as it calls for humility and says, make sure that you don't think you're the judge of the world. And by the way, while you're at it, make sure you're not using your tongue to speak against your brothers and sisters behind their backs. Now with that, let's just notice three things. The first thing is, even if you're, even if you're a Christian, to engage in slander is not impossible but it is inappropriate. And the very reason is revealed to us in the opening words of the verse where it says brothers or brothers and sisters. Immediately it's set within the framework of a family. And, and you have a family, and so do I. It's in, inappropriate within the framework of a family to slander one another because we're from the same womb, we're from the same bloodline, 
we have the same mom or dad or, or grandparents or great-grandparents. We have the same origins, and we've been united under the same leadership and, and so on, and it's absolutely inappropriate, but it's not impossible, as many of us know. We don't need to be separated by thousands of miles geogra uh, geographically to find that we are separated by thousands of miles emotionally. And often at the root of that is like at some uh, maybe Thanksgiving dinner where somebody said something about so-and-so, and, and before you know it, it's almost impossible to trace it back to its roots. It's like taking a bunch of feathers and scattering them up, up and down Springer Road and then let the wind blow them around for a while and then being told after a couple hours, now, now go back down Springer Road and pick up all those feathers. No, it's virtually impossible to do, and so is it with slanderous words. Once they're out, it's virtually impossible to retrieve them. And that's the significance of what's being said. If it is inappropriate within the blood-related family, it's inappropriate within the spiritual family. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to have God as our Father, not as some remote figure, but as a Father who has provided forgiveness for us through His Son. And that's what unites us with those who are also in Christ. So that although we may be separated from one another by the force of our social status or our abilities and capacities or, or whatever, the fact of the matter is that we find ourselves united when we recognize that we're from the same bloodline because it's the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which cleanses, cleans us from all of our sins if we forget who we are in Jesus, and if we forget what we are to one another, then we may find ourselves passing along little pieces of gossip, little pieces of information that create division rather than harmony and unity. Something has gone badly wrong in the family when those from the same bloodline slander one another, and something has gone badly wrong in the spiritual family, when the same thing takes place. That's why, from the very beginning of the Bible, God is concerned about these, these things. In Leviticus, all the way back to Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 16, where he urges his people, he says, Do not go up and down as a talebearer among your people. Stay away from those juicy little bits of information. Why? It's because it is inappropriate and it's wrong. We should never report something that may hurt another person unless to conceal it would, would, uh, would hurt worse. We should never report something that will hurt another person unless our concealing the fact would cause greater harm. It's easy to give in to the temptation of gossip and slander, but giving in, giving in will have eternal implications. And so we should keep in mind that when we are interested in receiving that information, that gossip, because remember, a slanderous tongue needs two ears that love that information for it to really do its work. You know, bad news travels fast, doesn't it? You know, did you hear about so-and-so? Uh, no, no, I don't want to hear. Don't want to hear? Okay, then. You know, it takes two ears. And listen, keep in mind, whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. Whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. You can take that to the bank. 
you can be dead certain whatever it is, wherever it is, that same individual who will gossip to you will do that same thing about you. Once slanderous words are out, it's very virtually impossible to retrieve them. You know, we need to be a fire break. When there's a forest fire, you know, it's usually out west where it's very, very dry, and when you see the planes and helicopters trying to douse the flames, and at the same time, people are feverishly digging out, trying to create wide enough ditch so that that fire, which is over here, might not be able to jump to over there. And it's called a fire break. And the wider the fire break, the less chance there is of the fire being able to jump to the next canyon. Our lives in Christ are supposed to be like those fire breaks when it comes to our tongue, when it comes to gossip and slander. So that the slanderer says, well, there's really no way I'm going to be able to get it over, over there, passing it through, through him or passing it through her because she's just like a fire break. She doesn't really like to listen to it, and she never, ever passes it on. First then, slander is not impossible, but it is inappropriate and sinful. And secondly, we can't deny that we're guilty of it. James is saying, brothers and sisters, please don't slander one another. Paul, he signs off at the end of his second letter to Corinth, 2 Corinthians, he says, I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Boy, that's something to look forward to, isn't it? Uh, can't wait to come see you and visit with you in your church, but I fear that all this stuff might be going on. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, having reminded his readers that, that they have been born again to a, where he says, to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he says to them, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, rid yourselves, get rid of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, why does he say that? Because we're guilty. We're guilty. I am guilty of slander when I report negatively on a person's views of a subject without knowing what those views really are. It's really tempting to take a sound bite without ever sourcing it, without ever finding how comprehensive it is and then passing it on to somebody else. Uh, did you hear what so-and-so said the other day or, or whatever it might be? And I haven't done the hard work of finding out whether it was taken completely out of context or whether it re represents a genuine expression of the person's convictions. But because there's some sinister desire to exalt myself, to lift myself up, it just makes me want to pass that stuff on with all the negative inference. It's slander. I am guilty of slander when I act as if I know the motives of people, and then I spread those motives. Oh, you know, the only reason she's helping is because, uh, well, the only reason he's saying that is because, well, that's, that's the jump ahead, isn't it? James says in verse 12 of our text, he says, who do you think you are? Who are you to judge your neighbor in this way? You don't know the motives of people's hearts. 
we say stuff like, oh, I'm sure the only reason she was invited is because, you know, fill in the blank. It's all slander. I am guilty of slander when I call into question the commitment of my brothers and sisters, when that commitment doesn't meet my expectations because I've got an expectation of what commitment means. And it may not be a biblical ex expectation, but it's my expectation. And as long as a person doesn't meet my, my framework and my design, then I can just write them off as uncommitted. That's slander. There may, they may be as committed as they can be. I don't know what their circumstances are. I don't know what they face at home. I don't know what's going on inside of their hearts or their heads. I can't make inferences. Well, I can make inferences of what I see on the outside, but that's all that I know, and that's all that I see. And on the strength of that, if I then determine that the issue that we're confronting here is the absence of commitment, then I just put myself in the position of God. In our verses here today, it says there's only one person who gets to sit on the throne, and that's God alone. Thirdly, and finally, what are we saying? The slander, slander is inappropriate, of course, it's, it's undeniable, and thirdly, it needs to be gotten rid of to be obedient to the Word of God. You see, what we have to do with this sin is to drag this ugly beast into the light of God's word. It's a very uncomfortable thing and it's a painful thing to read the Bible and for it to confront us that we are out of line with God and we're out of line with his truth. Our text says brothers and sisters don't slander one another. But I do slander people. Oh, and now I understand verse 9, where it says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. You know, what does that mean? We read that a little while ago. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Where does that fit in? Well, it's to face verse 11 and say, I'm not supposed to slander, and I have been slandering people. What should I do about that? Well, first of all, I should repent, which is to grieve, mourn, and wail. And in other words, it's to take seriously what God takes seriously. It's to call sin, sin. It's to recognize that I feel guilty because I am guilty. I can't externalize this. I can't blame it on anyone else. It is out of my own evil heart that these feelings and these attitudes come and then I give voice to them with my tongue. And it's devastating. We need to learn to say, I am a great sinner, but Christ is the great Savior. You see, until we recognize that the gospel is for sinners, we'll get this consistently wrong. The gospel, the good news, is for sinners. And in verse 8 of our text, it says, Wash your hands, you sinners. You know, who is he referring to here? Who is he talking to? A different group of people? No, it's the same group of people. Who are these people? They're the people who have become the children of God through the word of God. And it is to these people changed by God made new by God, included in the family of God, that he issues this exhortation to wash your hands, you sinners. And then he goes, don't slander anybody. And we sometimes think, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Uh, Really, I, yeah, I don't think so. That's, a, that's the significance of verse 9 
here, when we're aware of how magnificent the love of God is to us and Jesus and how disastrous my own rebellious heart is, then it ought to make me grieve and mourn and wail. Not to treat gossip and slander in some superficial way where I say, well, this is not really that big of an issue. It is an issue. And it's these very types of sins that hurt the church, hurt the church badly, the things that we say. We think, this isn't really that important. You know, a little deceitfulness here, a little slander there, a little gossip, a little judgmentalism over there. Uh, no, that doesn't really matter that much. Yes, it does. It does. It divides people and it causes all kinds of problems. You see, when we're honest, and this is, this is how to deal with it, when we're honest, we have to recognize that every day, in a thousand different ways, we're all tempted to make ourselves the center of the universe. And one of the ways which I know that I'm the center of the universe is when I'm better than somebody else. And that's why it helps me to pass on a little nugget of information, a little gossip, a little slander, to let you know that Mr. So-and-so is not really such a terrific guy after all, unlike me. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each, one of, each of us has turned to his own way. You know, is that verse just for us before we come to Christ and are baptized? Uh, I hope not because I am a wandering sheep. Everybody is. And in every day, a dozen different ways, I'm tempted to go astray. And in some of these ways, I do go astray. And when I'm aware of the fact that I have gone astray, what am I supposed to do? You know, where do I go? How does this get fixed? It gets fixed in the gospel. It gets fixed in the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ that the Lord has laid on him, capital H, has laid on him the iniquity of us all, as the psalmist says. And then as Paul quotes in Romans chapter 4, where he says, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin the Lord does not count against him. He has been put in the right relationship with God on account of what Jesus has done so that God in 2 Corinthians was not counting their sins against them because he was counting their sins against him, capital H. You know, I'm a sinner, but Jesus is a wonderful Savior. He cleanses me not only from the guilt of sin, but also from the power of sin. As the, uh, the song Rock of Ages says, be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. To be in Christ is to have the penalty of our sin dealt with. But in the meantime, how are we to deal with the fact that just as our hands get dirty all the time, uh, you know, when I go to my forge and I make something, make a knife or something else, or I go Civil War relic hunting where I dig in the ground, my hands get filthy. And when I forge, it's a baked-on kind of filth. It's just really hard to remove. I mean, I use kerosene and gasoline and so forth to wash my hands. They get so dirty. And it's just as my hands get dirty, so my heart gets dirty. Same way. And I have to go back again to the cross 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we, we need consistently, we need to be consistently preaching the gospel to ourselves because it's in this encouragement of recognizing that the approach of God to his erring child is not a picture of a large, it's not a picture of a large accusing finger, as it were, pointing out of the heavens, but actually rather the picture of a, of a large hand coming alongside and saying, you know, come on, David, we're going we're gonna to work on this together. Jesus says, I'm, for, I'm here for you every time you say help. I'm here for you every time you say help. I'm here for you every time. It's the picture of a father teaching his daughter to ride a bicycle with his hand on the back of the seat, urging her along. You know, if you have a picture of God, which is a large accusing finger from the heavens, you know, please rethink that because the message of God's word in, in the gospel is the good news for slanderers and gossipers. It's not to say, well, we've studied James 4.11, all about slanders, but I'm so glad I'm not a slanderer, because that would be a flat-out lie. It's to say, we just studied James 4.11, and I was convicted of the fact that I find it easy to slander. We all have slandered at one time or another, and I'm reminded of the gospel, and I'm reminded of some things that, that I have said in the past, but I'm so thankful for the gospel because it's the answer to all my sin. You know, we are all just saved sinners. Sin no longer reigns, but it remains. And the antidote to sin always in our lives, whether slander or anything else, judgmentalism or whatever it might be, is always to go back to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ because Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray each of us have turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The gospel is what we're unable to do for ourselves. Another has done for us. What we're unable to do, another has done. And all of our side of the equation, our side of the equation is nothing but indebtedness and failure and disappointment and bankruptcy. And instead of God holding that to our account, as we come to trust in Christ and obey his word and repent when we need, we can experience that true forgiveness and we can balance out that equation. The devil is a slanderer. The devil is a slanderer. And we have to do our very best to get that out of our lives. Let's close with a couple of verses. Remember that Jesus warns us about sins of the tongue in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. It says, I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. When we pray, let's pray Psalm 141, verse 3. It says, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips.